This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam, streaming at DCAUReview.com and on your favorite podcast app. Gotham City is out of control. An entire city screaming in fear. Super villains walk the streets, preying on the innocent. They will learn the true nature of power. The police are powerless. A creature prowls this urban wasteland. This man. He moves in darkness. For some, he is a rumor. A name whispered in the corridors of the underworld. Waiting for the chance to strike. Let every criminal know the acid taste of fear. You crazy! Gotham has forgotten what justice means. The Dark Knight is here to remind them. Batman. Good guys wear black. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 179 of the DCAU Review. I am one of your two hosts, Cal, and the other one is my good brother, good friend, the man that runs our Twitter account, it's Liam. Liam, welcome to episode 179 of the DCAU Review. That's right, and we have a... a pretty big uh, important episode to talk about this week we are still of course viewing batman the animated series for the month of october here and uh yeah a big one on the docket today with the the first time pairing and the aptly titled episode harley and ivy that is correct a uh, as you mentioned last week this is a big Big seminal episode for shippers. Uh, it's a kind of launching point for uh, several different brands and comics and spinoffs and additional animated series and lots of other things that have come from this episode uh, in and of itself. So lots to get into today, to today with this review. So let's not waste any time. Uh, before we do, of course, we will start with our official IMDb synopsis for this week's episode which originally aired back on January the 18th, 1993, here in the States on the Fox Kids afternoon programming. So uh, without further ado, let's get that IMDb synopsis, Liam. That's right. For the episode Harley and Ivy, which was written by Paul Dini, directed by Boyd Kirkland, with music by Peter Davison, Michael McQuistian, and Shirley Walker, and animation by Dong Yang with layouts by TMS. And that synopsis reads as such. Harley Quinn teams up with Poison Ivy and both become the queens of crime after the Joker and Batman find out. That's a poorly structured. That's an F. Yeah, that's that's not that's no good. Um, all right. Well, I guess it's up to us, Liam, you know, <laughs> we got to care. We got to uh, do the no. review. We got to read the plot and we got to come up with our own synopsis for this uh, episode. So, uh, we kick things off here with a, uh, with a, with an automobile chase for the second week in a row. Uh, we have an episode <laughs> kicking off with a car chase. Uh, if you're not sure what we're talking about, check out last week's episode, the mechanic in the archives at DCAUreview.com or on your favorite podcast app this week. However, it's not the penguin or his henchmen rather that are 
escaping from Batman. Nope, it's Harley Quinn and the Joker. And uh, Harley Quinn is behind the wheel of the car, the Joker having himself a gleeful time. And uh, as they're trying to escape, it's very quickly revealed that uh, maybe this relationship between Harley and, and the Joker, remember at the time, I don't think too much had been delved into as, as to what their relationship, but it's very apparent here from the way that he's shouting things and yelling at her and hurling things at her as she's driving this getaway vehicle with him lounging in the back laughing that uh, this is a very unhealthy, abusive relationship that they find themselves in. Liam. <laughs> ah, the wind in my hair and the Batman at my heels. <laughs> it's the kind of night that makes you glad to be alive. Right, Harley girl? Sure thing, Mr. J. Said turn. Yes, sir. Why didn't you tell me someone put a hill there? I tried, but never mind. Just hand me the gun. This is where I leave you flat. <laughs> you didn't say which gun. Yeah, I think Harley's appeared in about three or four episodes that we've reviewed uh, in this production order that we've reviewed the Batman episodes in. And uh, obviously the first episode, she's more just that one of the, one of the henchmen or hench girls in that case. And, uh, and has sort of just been more in that lackey role in the first few episodes. So this is maybe the first one where they make it a little bit more clear that there is like a romantic relationship uh, with her and Joker. And that, yes, it's an, it's an incredibly unhealthy one is he's just constantly berating her throughout this car chase with Batman. And then after they do finally manage to escape, from Batman, uh, they are they are back at the hideout, and the Joker is just just laying into her, you know, just ranting at her, ranting at uh, these two other thugs that he has, uh, and and just you know talking about how Harley screwed the whole thing up. They weren't able to get this diamond that they were trying to steal, and it's all Harley's fault. And Harley's trying to sort of you know just just very sheepish, sheepishly uh, defend herself ever so slightly, and even that's kind of too much for the Joker. That's a little bit too much pushback for him. And uh, for not the last time on screen or, and certainly not the last time in comic books, uh, the Joker is seen being a little bit physically abusive to Harley as he literally throws her out the door. No, we didn't get the diamond. The dork knight showed up before we even got to the museum. I had a great shot at him too, except my dear little Harley Quinn handed me the wrong gun! But, Button, it was kind of funny watching you shoot at him with the bang flag. 
<laughs> funny? You presume to tell me what I should think is funny? In fact, when have you ever contributed a worthwhile idea to this gang? Well, I did get us away from Batman. Oh, huzzah! The kid gets lucky and she wants a medal. Maybe I should just let you run the gang. Maybe you're a better crook than the rest of us put together. Maybe. Not. <laughs> and uh, she is uh, left to fend for herself and she decides she's going to prove him and prove everyone else wrong and that, that she can strike out on her own and that she is a, a legitimate criminal mastermind, just like the Joker. And she does that by going back to the museum and uh, trying to steal this diamond that she and the Joker were going to steal originally. But as she sort of very stealthily and uh, tactically makes her way through the, the security and, and avoids setting off the alarms, wouldn't you know it? another female super criminal shows up and she does not quite have uh, Harley's uh, tact as far as she just grabs what she's stealing and runs out the door and uh, poison Ivy and Harley are then sort of a, they, this is the first time in the episode they run afoul of uh, law enforcement. And uh, we see the beginnings of this sort of Thelma and and Louise style uh, crime spree that they go on. Yeah, they are able to escape the clutches of the GCPD as they uh, actually run into Renee Montoya, who has responded to the scene. Harley is pretty, uh, in, uh, uses ingenuity and uh, decides to use some of the chemicals that Ivy is stealing to, from the museum to uh, create an escape path for them and does so. Uh, she, in turn, is invited into Ivy's car for their escape from the other police that had responded to the scene and uh, they make their getaway uh, returning to where Ivy is uh, holed up. And that would be at this toxic layer, this uh, sort of this toxic waste dump that she has, uh, has decided to, uh, to, to stow away. So uh, she gives, uh, she, there's a funny little scene where Harley is being administered sort of this antidote to protect her from the toxic fumes. And she is uh, screaming about how she hates shots, which of course is ironic knowing what we know later on that she is, although a psychiatrist, how many times a psychiatrist administers uh, shots or had to be administered shots, I guess is, uh, is certainly debatable compared to a, a standard medical doctor, but pretty funny that Dr. Harley and Quinzel is, <laughs> Uh, is, is has a uh, has an aversion to to needles. I hate shots. I hate shots. Now, now, you're not immune to poison like I am, and you won't last ten minutes here in Toxic Acres without my antidote. Oh. <sighs> You'd think after living with Mr. J, I'd be used to a little pain. But. Uh, we digress. We go forward. And as you mentioned, they really start uh, out on their own and, and, and becoming this sort of uh, evil tandem as they there's uh, flashes of different newspaper headlines sort of uh, detailing and uh, uh, showing their crime spree across of Gotham. And uh, we then cut to 
the Joker's lair where he's quite frustrated, walking around, noting that the their hideout at this abandoned laugh uh, comedy factory uh, comedy club is is quite the mess. The the hyenas are are barking and snapping at him. <laughs> he can't find his socks. Um, it's so great. Places going to blinking blue blazes. Anybody seen my socks? Holly! <laughs> they snapped at me. What's going on, Rock? The place is a mess. No one's fed the hyenas, and I can't find my socks. Where's Holly? You can't abortion, remember? So, she's always come back before. Gee, uh, I guess you ain't seen the papers then. Papers? What are you babbling about? Yeah, ah! uh, <laughs> it's a real uh, like it's a real classic. It feels like a sitcom trope where the the wife and the wife and the husband have a uh, you know have some sort of argument, and the wife goes to stay at her sister's for a few days or something, and and the man is just completely out to pasture as he's walking around. the The hyenas are nipping at his heels because they haven't been fed and yeah the joker is just completely in shambles despite the fact that he doesn't really want to admit that uh harley has any sort of uh and any of his uh his smooth criminal operation uh could be attributed to harley that's right yeah so i I think my favorite line is he goes this place is going to blinking blue blazes (laughs) without harley and then screams he can't find his socks uh so he's having this conversation with uh his two henchmen rocco and henshaw who are uh, making a a second appearance they actually appeared in a prior episode as well and uh they they remind him he asks them where harley is and they so gently try and remind him that he had exiled her and thrown her out of their uh of their hideout and he remarks that yeah well she always comes back though and uh rocco i believe is the the one that breaks the news to him literally showing him the the newspaper headlines of harley uh and ivy making their way through gotham on a crime spree and we kind of get this cut to the outside of the the comedy club and and hear joker scream and in 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 anger at uh at the fact that harley is sort of upstaging him so uh, we we cut back to Harley and Ivy who are uh, going on yet another caper as they uh, determine they're going to. It becomes sort of a a a feminist type uh, <laughs> type platform for Ivy as she seems to be determined to sort of upset the the. Uh, normal gender roles or perpetual gender roles and uh, make sure that they go and and attack this men's hunting club, I believe, where they uh, rob and that's part of one of their crime sprees. And uh, it's, it's very soon thereafter that celebrating all of their victories, Harley and Ivy are back and Harley is cooking or Ivy is cooking dinner for Harley, which is of course all vegetables, which feels a little bit like cannibalism. I'm not going to lie. I would, you'd think that, that <laughs> she'd I, be eating all meat, right? right? Wouldn't Ivy be drinking all meat? No, she's a vegetarian. Like, isn't that, isn't that bad? I, I don't know. Feels like cannibalism, but anyway, uh, <laughs> she uh, she cooks cooks a salad or has a salad on the table for for Harley, 
and Harley actually makes the salad on her plate uh, look like the face of the Joker and uh, continues to remark about how much she misses him and mentioning him much to Ivy's uh, chagrin. She's very upset about this, continually reminding Harley that he's abusive and uh, that she needs to stop fawning after and stop talking about uh, how much she misses him. Uh, So at this point, there's an interaction between Harley and Ivy in their vehicle uh, after a getaway and where there's a group of men who may or may not just happen to resemble uh, some of the show's producers and directors and writers (laughs) uh, that show up and begin acting in very chauvinistic, sexist ways and and remarking uh, some some inappropriate uh, harassment towards Harley and Ivy. But Harley responds by pulling out a giant bazooka and blowing their car to smithereens. And and from there, Batman is actually able to collect a dirt sample that uh, he then uses to track down with the help of Alfred uh, to just where Harley and Ivy might be staying. But we find out that Batman is not the only one sort of on this collision course to rendezvous with Harley and Ivy. Yeah. Uh, I just had one note uh, about the the guys in the car, which is a very funny scene. Um, but as like between that, and then there's a scene earlier in the episode where they're kind of showing this montage of, of Harley and Ivy going on different, uh, you know, on this crime spree. And one of them is they go to like some sort of men's only club and and then late and then later in the episode they have these they run afoul of these like these you know chauvinistic men who are trying to you know saying all this lewd stuff to them. I'm like, do people just do people not who live in Gotham City not know who like the criminals are? <laughs> yeah, because I didn't understand that either because Carly and Ivy walk in and I was trying to reason like they walk into this room and they're like a woman. It's it's like it's not just a woman. It's the woman that almost killed the district attorney. Do you guys right. not remember that giant news story where right. she kidnapped Pamela- all those old people and turned them into trees? Like you right. think that would have made front page news at some point? No, no, no recollection. No recollection of who Poison Ivy is or the fact that there's a woman like Harley. I get it because it's kind of established that she's she's an afterthought. She's a member of the Joker's gang and not much else mm-hmm. at this point. But come on, man. <laughs> That's just, yeah, it's just a little note I had. And I get that kind of both of those scenes are more played for the comedy of it. And But it, I did notice that. And I was like, oh, it's kind of weird that like nobody's like, oh, that's Poison Ivy. <laughs> like, <laughs> known eco-terrorist and murderer Poison Ivy is here. Nope. To uh, these guys, it's just a woman in their men's club. That's right. And the uh, audacity. And then, yeah, to, later it's just two women in the in the in a convertible, I guess. But right. anyway, yes, as you were saying, uh, after after Harley had made the phone call to Joker, sort of telling her that she missed him and the Joker was very quick to uh, to trace her call. We sort of get these uh, everybody convening in this one area, this toxic waste dump where Harley and Ivy are held up and Batman gets there first and is uh, he comes prepared with a, a special, not the usual uh, Batman, the animated series gas mask. He has like a, a ski mask with the rebreather like built into it. We'll talk about that a little bit more and perhaps in visuals, but uh, yeah, he's uh, he's pretty quickly captured. If we're being honest, it's a little embarrassing. And, and then he's, <laughs> uh, he's tied up in, in vines and, and poison Ivy and Harley sort of, send him off to his doom by sending him into this uh, lake that's uh, on, on the property of this, uh, this toxic waste dump. And while he's trying sort of struggling to get free, uh, Harley and Ivy notice that the lights seem to be on in their, 
in their hideout. And that is where we get uh, the Joker and his two thugs reemerging and kind of first imposing their will. And the Joker's sort of, uh, you know, being very dismissive of Poison Ivy and telling her he's going to take the diamond that, that Harley had stolen. And Ooh, look at the goodies. That's ours, you louse. Oh, Pammy, I wouldn't leave you empty handed. Since you like flowers so much. I'll put no! You can have mine! <coughs> oh! Red! <coughs> it doesn't work on me. Harley's sort of resistant to it, but uh, Joker also makes it clear this is, again, kind of another thing that becomes a, a hallmark of future versions of the uh, of the Joker and Harley relationship, even, even in this series and beyond, you know, back in the comics and in, in other mediums. But it's, you know, hit how clearly he, he really views Harley as property more than anything else. And it's, right. it's not so much that... And they showed obviously earlier in the episode that he did that he his life was something in shambles. But what really sets him off is I think how how successful she was without him, and and so she he decides he's going to try to punish Poison Ivy by exposing her to the laughing gas in his uh, his boutonniere, and uh, and she of course is immune to that as she is to all other sort of toxins, and instead sort of knocks him down and, and grabs Harley, and they leave. Uh, Batman reemerges and the Joker begins wildly firing a machine gun at Batman who reminds him that they're sitting on a ton of flammable material. Lots of big explosions occur and, the, and Batman is sort of uh, the thugs run away and Batman's able to get the Joker to safety. And as, uh, as Harley and Ivy seem to be about to get away scot-free and, and Poison Ivy makes this very dramatic uh, and uh, immediately ironic quote of uh, no man can can possibly capture us and then immediately their tires are shot out by renee montoya who uh, returns <laughs> after being foiled by harley and ivy earlier in the episode so i, lo I loved that little bit of irony to the to the story too of that well done sort of to put a little bow on the uh, as you said there's a lot a lot of poison ivy's dialogue in in the second half of the episode is very uh uh, very uh, sort of feminist focused and everything. So that's a, a good little bow on that. It's having uh, Montoya be the one to actually capture them. And then we get just like a nice little epilogue of, uh, of Joker in his cell back at Arkham yelling and screaming about how the next time he starts a game, there won't be any women in it. And, <laughs> and, and, and Harley, Harley hearing him shout that and saying, I think we're going to be able to work it out and, uh, and poison Ivy being none too pleased with her. So we end on a, a very Paul Dini style joke uh, to end it as, uh, as poison Ivy and Harley are working in the garden in Arkham and uh, poison Ivy just throws some mud in her face <laughs> and we get, and we get sort of the confused Harley look into the camera as we end there. So yeah, as we, as we can uh, begin to get towards our plot scores here, this episode is so much fun. It like, is. It's, yeah, it's it's a blast. It's obviously it's written by Paul Dini, who, if anyone knows Harley Quinn, <laughs> it's it's him. And I feel like this is a really good episode as far as beginning to develop Harley a little bit more mm -hmm. 
and and while obviously people would look to something like Mad Love as the the true magnum opus of uh, maybe if Paul Dini written Harley stories, mm-hmm. I really like I really like the development we get because yeah, to this point in the series, she has mostly been while mem- while a memorable player in some of those episodes like Almost Got Him or The Man Who Killed Batman that she appeared in she was definitely still more of a background player. So it's really cool to see that story start to develop. It's not just all of the Harley and Ivy stuff, which obviously from here, this spawns multiple other team ups in, in more episodes of this series and the new Batman adventures, plus, you know, tons of comics there, you know, they were in a romantic relationship, both in the comics and there's, there's an entire Harley Quinn animated series where her relationship with poison Ivy is sort of a main focus of that entire series so like this is a big deal for all of that but beyond that it also i thought did a lot to establish who harley is a little bit more beyond just being the wacky you know the wacky clown girl yeah it really is and it's interesting because i really think that this is actually a great companion piece it's funny that you mentioned mad love obviously mad love really gets into the the nitty-gritty and the depths of the the ins and outs of the Joker Harley relationship. And I, I think I misspoke before, I guess there was a little bit of hinting at the abusive relationship in the Joker fish episode. Um, you know, yeah. he like when he forcibly makes her eat the fish and then, you know, slaps the, the fish costume on her. Like there was, there was some like hinting at it, but this I feel is a little bit mo- more overt, but you truly kind of get that that dynamic of her being just madly pun intended madly in love with this psychotic clown killer that, and, and willing to look past the fact that he treats her like garbage and accept it and even see in some of the behaviors he points towards her as loving, which is of course, you know, there's, that's a lot of real life. There's a lot of real life in that where there are people, you know, abused lover syndrome, where you, you truly, or abused spouse syndrome, where you truly make excuses for those people. And so this is really laying the foundation, I think, for some of that and is a great companion piece, because it does give a little bit of the the background that, you know, the Joker, obviously, in Mad Love, throws her out of uh, once again and that kind of kicks off that whole storyline and then culminates with with harley being the one that's successful enough to to capture batman so it's a very similar there are some similar plot points in here that are are really further explored in that episode so you get some of those uh those points here at least touched on initially and then further explored and exploited in in mad love so i think it's a it's a lot of fun you know you have three supervillains in this episode if you count harley and uh, as a soup you know which i guess you you do in this episode and in this universe for sure um so you have three you know you have three villains but i don't think it feels overstuffed at all and the reason that is, is there's not a ton of Batman. Batman screen time here is probably less than probably less than four minutes of the 22 minute runtime, I feel. Um, and he's 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 in that opening scene. He's in he has the investigative scene where he sort of tracks down Harley and Ivy. And then he has his brief moment where he gets captured. And then ultimately his his fight against the Joker at the end uh, that results in the explosion at the uh, at the the toxic waste. dump. speaking of which. 
the only reason I know that they didn't is because they once again appear in old wounds, but Rocco and Henshaw are nowhere to be found when that, (laughs) when that place explodes. I thought that that might be their death. Like Batman doesn't (laughs) throw them in the Batmobile. He throws the Joker in the Batmobile as this place explodes to drive him out. But there's not the the, Rocco and Henshaw. I I, I don't know what happened to them, but I I guess they survive because they appear later in old wounds. So, yeah, I think they show them kind of running out of, out of frame when the Joker keeps firing, but we don't see them like get in a car or anything. Right. so it's not exactly clear how they how they would have survived this, but apparently they did. Perhaps they were just like severely burned. Perhaps, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, because it's a lot of fun, because you have lots of Joker stuff here, Joker and Harley dynamic, Harley and Ivy, as you mentioned, this sets up their dynamic going forward. Uh, lots of interactions in the future between the two of them. Uh, and it's a very well-written Paul Dini, shocking Paul Dini episode. You know, I, <laughs> I, I went with a very strong eight out of 10 for my plot. Yeah, I went, uh, I went just one tick higher. I went nine out of 10. I, uh, I think it's, it's a really, really solid fun episode. And like I said, not only does it have these huge building blocks with, uh, you know, deepening the Joker Harley relationship and, but and establishing the Harley and Ivy relationship. But just like I said, the the idea of really doing it, doing all of that, all that big picture stuff, but also sort of using this episode to be a little bit of a character study for Harley and and her flaws and, and her strengths and everything, I think is is really well done. And there's there's more depth to this episode than I think I would have remembered otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Lamb, let's us continue as we go through here in our next category which is going to be animation and our visuals for this week so uh, i'm pretty sure i saw this was a tms production but was also in tandem with uh who else was on Dong Ye. Dong Ye. Yeah, so as it's referred to in i think in the credits and also on the dcau wiki it's it's, uh, it's referred to as animation by Dong Yang with layout services by TMS. So I guess it was some sort of tandem tandem work between the, those two studios. And we, we talked about that a bit last week as a lot of those uh, animation studios that Warner Brothers worked with at the time would often sort of work with t- work in tandem and sometimes there wouldn't be time to finish finish a full episode and and so they would it would some of the extra work would get farmed out to a, a smaller studio uh, we talked about that when we had a friend of the show Kevin Altieri on uh, as well so that's i guess that was somewhat of a regular occurrence but i feel like the result is the show has a real weird look to it and i don't know and i don't quite know who to blame <laughs> because yeah yeah, that's exactly how I felt. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's not just the animation itself as far as like the way people move and everything. There's nothing too like stiff or, you know, too, uh, uh, the phrase we always come back to is like warbly. Like I didn't think, I didn't think any of the animation itself, but it was more just, you know, people staying on model consistent, consistently. And then I don't know that this would actually fall on the animation, but whoever does the the coloration service, uh, services for the episode as well and part of that might also be because we were watching the the hd version but i feel like the coloration on poison ivy especially was kind of inconsistent mm-hmm. so like yeah there's i i don't know quite what it was but there's just real i think that especially the scene in the museum 
I feel like they don't, they're not using a lot of like normal, the normal way they sort of light or, or color people in shadow. It felt like they just did the regular sort of base colors and then just put some sort of like darkened filter over it. So it doesn't, mm-hmm. so it looks like too bright in some shots and not bright enough in others. So yeah, I, I don't know. Just like there's a lot of this episode that just felt off to me and another episode with a pretty inconsistent Joker model as well. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess we can split, split this up between some of the visuals that we liked and then the animation, which is why we do animation and visuals. But as far as the animation for the episode, I, I, I had to do a double take because I thought that some of this was done by Acom. That's how bad I thought some of this <laughs> was. And not again, not in the way that characters moved, just the characters looked like caricatures of themselves at times. Joker had this really giant chin and giant eyes. And then in the next scene, he'd be real tiny. Uh, some of the characters moved like it was tiny tunes, sort of real angular and kind of like on a walking, even on an angle. Uh, it just, it was so inconsistent. The scene, I think that you, uh, that you're maybe you were referring to the, the scene in the, the initial scene in the museum where Harley is stealing the, the diamond, mm-hmm. um, noticed in that one. And you, you mentioned they, instead of, so it's dark, it's supposed to be a dark scene. And instead of characters having any sort of cell shading, which I understand they're supposed to be in a dark room without lights, but even in a dark room without lights, there's going to be a light source someplace, whether it's from, you know, the windows or, you know, if it's from the doorway, there's got to be some sort of light source. And for whatever reason, they chose not to have any sort of light source and there was no cell shading at all during that whole scene. So the characters sort of come off looking like Disney characters, almost the way that they moved in the way that they are kind of flat up against these painted backgrounds and they already have that, like you said, that sort of dark filter over top of them to sort of give the appearance of shadow, but it just kind of makes everything look flat and, and low budget as opposed to looking like it's dark. Um, And that lasts for that entire sequence, which is a pretty important sequence for the entire episode. Um, I thought, like you said, character models were all over the place. Poison Ivy looked different in almost every, every scene, if not every cut. Sometimes you could see her nose. Sometimes her nose was very minimalized or non-existent at all based on the character model. There's, there's a lot of inconsistencies that occurred there, um, which is a shame because there's a, there's a lot of fun and a lot of interesting visuals that they chose to do, I feel like, in some of this. But it's just so inconsistent across the board and was so distracting. That, that scene where Joker finally arrives at their, at their hideout and confronts uh, Harley and Ivy in the middle, that there's a scene where they're, I mean, there's a, a sequence where Harley and Joker are just kind of standing face to face. And he, he, it, he's so disproportionate from, from, from what he looks like in the rest of the episode. I, I literally, I just, I like cringed. It was just like, this is so mm-hmm. bad. Um, but then there are other sequences where that's not the case. There are other sequences where things like there's a lot of the scenes where they're driving, uh, where Harley and, and Ivy, I thought were driving where they looked to be on model. Um, you know, this, the scene where Joker's walking around in his hideout, he looked a little bit more on model than he had previously. It's, it's inconsistent. And that I think the one, the places where it's, it's not good, it's real bad. 
Yeah, I think that's the thing. It's like the the lows are really low. I mean, as far as as some of the good stuff, I think that final sequence when everything's exploding and you just got, you know, everything's on fire. You just got all these bright oranges and, you know, first Harley and Ivy speed away and then Batman sort of hiding behind this this low wall as the Joker's firing on him and then the, the explosions start going off and that's all pretty fun and dramatic. And then we get a, we get a shot of, you know, the, the fire and the flames and the Batmobile sort of drives out of the flames and, and comes towards Batman as, as he, uh, he and the Joker get to safety. Like, I think that's a, that's a pretty fun sequence. Yeah. I love that sequence. Like that's, that sequence probably the best, the best of the episode. I feel like mm. even the, the bat, you know, when you said the Batmobile bursting through the flames, Batman running through the flames with Joker over his shoulder, um, I thought all of that was really good and for the most part appeared to be on model, but man, like it's, it's just like for every good one, good sequence, there was three that you're just like, Oh, this is not great. Yeah. I think, I think that's pretty fair. And I, yeah, yeah I think it's just the inconsistency because we've talked about that before plenty of times when it comes to a Batman design or a Joker design, if we have a, a longer chin or you know, longer ears on, on the cowl, as long as it's consistent for the episode, we can kind of get past it. But when it's so wildly inconsistent throughout the entire episode, I do think that uh, that sort of hurts it and, and, and makes it, it just becomes a lot more distracting, I think. It's one of those things where if it's consistent throughout the episode, even if it's not sort of the very classic, you know, on the you know model sheet perfection, once you notice it's a little bit different, you can get used to it. Where in this episode, you know, almost shot to shot, uh, you know, people's, you know, the sizes of people's heads or, you know, their their proportions can change pretty dramatically depending on what they're doing in any in any given scene. And um, so, yeah, like I said, there's 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 some fun in that final act. I think there's some good dramatic action there. And even when um, when Joker's trying to uh, to sort of bully Poison Ivy and the thing and she first sort of reveals that the uh, that the toxin hasn't worked on her and then she knocks knocks him down and he falls backwards onto the table and the spaghetti lands on his head. Like that's a really funny, fun little, little comedic beat there. But uh, yeah, the, the, the highs are, are there and there's definitely some fun to be had, but the, the, the lows definitely drag it down a little bit here. Yeah. uh, I, I, we can talk about the things that we did like now instead of, you know, I, that's, we can transition to that. Um, As you mentioned, one of the things that I noticed right off the bat, as we get into the Joker's hideout, as we mentioned at this abandoned comedy factory is man, we see where more of that Joker money went to. There's this giant laughing Joker (laughs) head tucked behind his giant Joker that I guess is also his throne or it's like next to where he sits. (laughs) like joker this is why you don't have any money by the time you get to joker's millions he just spends it on ridiculous things that and the convertible <laughs> with a giant smiley face on the front of it i guess and the removable bumper the folk the fake bumper <laughs> yeah that was that was good also i thought that that shot where he pulls out the gun which uh, that gun somewhat resembles the same long revolver that uh, he carried that the he being the joker carried in batman 89 if you guys are familiar is a similar shot of him holding the gun with the barrel like that but that that shot where he pulls out the barrel and it sort of pans around that you see the barrel of the gun pointed pointed somewhat at the the uh sort of adjacent to this 
the the front I don't know point of view there uh very looked like a comic book panel looked right out of a movie the pan across it loved that shot um I, I thought it was interesting that they gave uh they gave Poison Ivy's license plate the name Rosebud which of course is a direct nod to Citizen Kane a very famous movie from the 30s or 40s 30s I think mid 40s maybe um a, a very famous movie so that that was a little wink there to that that era that time and uh, certainly if you if you don't know what rosebud is then you either haven't seen citizen kane or the office or uh you know ha- haven't done your research so go watch that movie if you don't if you haven't because it's uh it's it's a pretty good one can uh, i i just want to interrupt while you're talking about poison ivy's car I like that sequence where they're they're trying to escape the museum and and poison ivy's like get in the car Harley's like, what, what car? And then it just cuts to this car-shaped bush. <laughs> and then she just pulls it off like it's a tarp. Like she right. made a, a leaf-covered tarp to hide her car. And love apparently that. nobody nobody noticed that. And, and then that, I, I love the idea. Of, of, that's a, it's just such a wacky little beat to put in there. And, and it does feel like something pretty authentic to this version of Poison Ivy. So I, I liked that, that gag as well. Yeah, that was that was amusing. Uh, I did enjoy the montage also a way to sort of recap what's happening between Harley and and Ivy with the newspaper. That's a classic. I feel like a classic movie trope or, uh, you know, a a classic, uh, classic storytelling trope to save you some time and and tell you what's going on. You just flash newspaper headlines around. So I appreciated that as well. And uh, and then uh, we briefly mentioned it. We were discussing the plot, Liam, but we have uh, introduced for the one and only time, I believe, this sort of all-in-one cow rebreather gas mask uh, that Alfred suggests that Batman wears. And it's super cool, and he only wears it for about mm, seven seconds before it gets ripped off and never to be seen again. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's a re- it's really cool. Like, Alfred hands it to him, and it's kind of this dramatic, like, scene break, and then he bursts through the the window in their house and he's wearing it and it's all dramatic and and the you know we'll get to music in a little bit here but it's it's just this great dramatic entrance and then as we said even though he's not breathing in the toxic fumes he does immediately uh get captured pretty much by uh by poison ivy's uh vines evening ladies playtime's over Land of Goshen, Harleen. Look who's come a-courting. Looks like he's got us. Looks like! <laughs> Poor Batman. All dressed up. And no place to go. Yes! I'm not quite sure what his plan was. Like, he's fought Poison Ivy at least, like, three or four times by this point in the series. <laughs> So you'd think he would expect vines by now, but uh, he was caught off guard yet again. And then I do like that sequence of him in the in the death trap, and they they remove the gas mask from it. Do they do they make a point of him like taking any kind of antitoxin? Nope. Because because he, he's in the thing, and then he's underwater, and he's just like, huh? He's just like screaming, like he's just like mouth open on in the toxic water, and then just jumps out and. The joke. I don't think the Joker and his thugs were uh, properly inoculated anyway. So I guess it's 
I guess it's a slow acting. Uh, it's a, it's a slow. Poison Ivy says something about 10 minutes, at least twice. She mentions that to, to Harley. So I guess this for storyline purposes, you could say that the Joker and his thugs weren't there for that long. You could as even. As long as you're not drinking the water for more than 10 minutes. You're well, good. it's a good thing. Batman didn't enter the water with his mouth open then. Right. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. So he that did. that kind of made me laugh, but uh, yeah, that it that like I said that like we talked about already that that entire final act from when uh, you know when Batman shows up and then gets captured and then while well, he's sort of freeing himself and then Joker and Joker and his thugs fight uh, Harley and Ivy briefly and then it's actually a pretty cool shot of once Batman's freed and is kind of about to enter back into the fray uh, as uh, as Rocco and and the other one are are chasing Harley out the door with the machine gun we suddenly just sort of see Batman. Yeah, you know, kind of all cast in shadow, sort of appear, uh, rise up on top of the roof, and then jump down onto the, to them and fight them. And so I think there's there's definitely that's definitely the visual highlight and the animation highlight uh, uh, is that third act with uh, certainly once all the explosions and stuff get brought in. But uh, yeah, overall, uh, I think as we can get into scores here, it's it's consistently inconsistent as. Uh, as Yogi Berra might say. And uh, for all those reasons, I ended up settling on a five out of 10 for my visuals and animation because there's a lot of stuff I do like in that third act, but, and there's some funny uh, sort of more comedic moments with Harley and Ivy and then with, uh, with the Joker as well. But overall, it's just that everybody is, is, is off model uh, or at least not consistently on model for most of the episode. And that's obviously going to bring the score down. Yeah, you were uh, just slightly more generous than I was. I went with a four out of 10. Uh, that's that it's just not good. Like there's just so much not good in this episode. It's distracting and it's hard to tell, you know, if if the HD remaster of this maybe hurt this a little bit in the way that some of the characters looked. If maybe it was a little more dark and grainy, it would have been easier to hide some of the the off model things, but I, I, I don't know. It's, it's very, very inconsistent. And as we said that to, for, to me to have multiple moments during the episode where I'm like, Oh, that does not look good. Or, Ooh, what happened? Or who, who did this? Like, this doesn't look anything like this show. Uh, I feel like that, that, that automatically means I have to consider giving it a, a below average score, <laughs> uh, which I ended up doing. So. All right, Liam, let's move on to our next category, which is going to be music. And I know we have a few musicians uh, responsible for this week. So uh, what did you have as far as musical notes were concerned? Yeah, I think the first thing it's right from the uh, the title card, which uh, we didn't mention in visuals, which is a nice kind of uh, like this four square sort of matchup of the red and black diamonds from Harley's suit and sort of the green leaves of Poison Ivy's suit. But right away we get kind of the Harley theme brought in and then mixed with that sort of, I didn't really think of Poison Ivy having like a dramatic theme in the way that like Joker or Two-Face or, or even Harley here does, but she has that sort of ethereal like string music that usually plays in her scenes that I guess is is uh, exclusive to her as far as this uh, specific arrangement. So right from the get, we kind of get those themes mashed on top of each other. We have that sort of eerie, ominous strings, but with the, the Harley theme played on top of it. And we hear that a lot throughout the episode. So that was kind of number one for me on, on the musical notes was the, 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 the fun supervillain theme mashup that we get for this uh, historic team up. 
Yeah, we don't think I, you know, I don't know when mashups really became like a like a thing. I want to say like early two thousands or like mid two thousands when all music when, just decided that it we could no longer create any more original music pieces. When uh, when Lincoln Park and Jay Z did that one together. Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And then performed it live. That's that's that feels like when it became like a cultural touchstone to me. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense. I, yeah, that's less uh, less less sardonic than my, than me, I guess, in thinking that <laughs> ran out of ran out of all original ideas. So we just have to either do covers or just sample things now, or just uh, all of our songs have to sound like other songs. So, uh, <laughs> so regardless, back to this episode here and stopping <laughs> my my commentary on society. We live in a society after all, I but uh, we uh, yes. So having two two pieces sort of mashed up into a single not because they sound alike but because you're creating a, a unification of the two themes i really really like that that was a pretty ingenious uh, idea for the time i feel at least i don't i don't know i'm not i i guess i can't give them official credit for being the first ever mashup idea but that seems like this, <laughs> this that wasn't a thing before this so I, i'll give them them provisional credit on that how about that Love it. And and to your point, I think a lot of times when multiple villains have, have appeared in these episodes before, say in um, Strange Secret of Bruce Wayne, or of course Almost Got Him, we would hear all these individual themes, but they would kind of, one would play and then sort of bleed into the other, where this one is, they're kind of overlaid on top of each other. And I do think that really gave this episode its own unique musical flavor. Yeah, and that Harley theme is one that, you know, once you hear it stuck in your head, another earworm, a, a, a beautiful piece that really fits the character. It kind of has, it's it's in the same vein as the Joker theme, but it's its own unique personality to it. It's a little bit more peppy. It's a little bit more lighthearted and where the Joker sort of have this has this dark undercurrent that sometimes could be played uh with some of the deeper you know tubas or you know some of the other darker horns that they would use to kind of bring it down a little bit this is a little bit more this i, I don't know this is a little bit more peppy this one has a little bit more life a little bit more light to it which kind of makes sense i feel like with this harley character because she doesn't while she she does have a sadistic side to her in general it f for this the point of this series she's generally a, a pretty light-hearted character there's not a whole lot of that dark evil undercurrent that really comes out of this so i feel like the music sort of matching that for this character works really well and to have an episode where this finally uh, really plays a huge part in it and again is recurring we have it at the beginning we have it sort of in the middle as we see this montage uh, of of Harley and Ivy working together and then playing again at the end sort of uh, as the as the punchline hits uh, and and Ivy throws the the mud in her face but um, I really enjoyed that piece. I really enjoyed the music. As you mentioned, I think Batman breaking through the glass and making his entrance, we finally get a, again, Batman, not a lot of screen time this week. So not a lot of opportunities for him, for, to, for his, uh, the, the Shirley Walker Batman theme mm -hmm. to drop in. But uh, that scene in particular punctuated by his arrival uh, through the through the glass glass window. Couldn't just use the door now, could he? Uh, <laughs> break, breaking in through the window. So uh, I thought that that was, that was well punctuated. And when you think about Great episodes, you know, you tend to think of them having this sort of marriage of everything all together. And maybe in this episode, where, in my opinion, visuals may have failed the 
the episode overall the writing picked up and then i think in this case the music picked up some of the slack which is why i ended up giving music a, a really strong eight out of ten for this week nice yeah and i i gave it the exact same score of eight out of ten i think it's there's a lot of fun uh, music and I, I think you get uh, the music during the the sort of newspaper montage of all of harley and ivy's crimes is fun and like we said that that sort of refrain of the two themes sort of uh, laid on top of each other uh, to create the the joint Harley and Ivy theme is just so cool and such a great idea uh, from our three uh, composers for this episode, uh, Peter Davison, Michael McQuish, and Shirley Walker. So a great job by all three of them. And uh, yeah, it led to a, a very memorable soundtrack. That's right. Let's move on to our final category for this week, Liam, which will be our voice acting. Man, we got uh, we got not a large cast this week, but it's pretty much the who's who's of of all of our Batman, the animated series actors. So let's get into talking about their performances in this week's voice acting. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of fun ones. Interestingly enough, uh, playing uh, Rocco, one of uh, one of the Joker's uh, henchmen is uh, Robert Costanza, who, of course, is, is Harvey Bullock. But interestingly enough, Bullock's not in this episode. Nope. Uh, so he's just so he's just there. I don't know if there, if he was supposed to maybe be with Montoya at some point in the in one of the the chase scenes or something, and then they cut him, or if they just they just said, "Hey, we need somebody to play a a, a thug," and and maybe he was recording for another episode that day or what. I'd love to hear some trivia on that. But uh, of course, we also have uh, Ingrid Olu as Montoya briefly, who again, as we said, gets kind of this. She gets foiled by Harley and Ivy at first, and then she's the one to capture them at the end. She doesn't get many lines, but I, I like that moment for uh, for Montoya's character. And then, uh, and then, yeah, we have our uh, we do briefly have Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. as Alfred. Um, not much, but we do have a scene of of him and uh, Batman uh, at the cave very briefly, as as we mentioned. And then there's a great line where he delivers where he asks as bruce is looking at just pictures of harley and ivy creepily enough but he asks if bruce is uh, or if batman is perusing for a weekend date a date <laughs> saturday night I... choosing a weekend date sir this is one sister act that's hard to follow, Alfred. Only clue I have is this soil analysis from their tire tracks. Hmm. Contains the same compounds we'd find in a toxic waste dump. Then may I suggest an accessory this evening? Classic Alfred delivery. That's right. And then we, uh, we of course, have Kevin Conroy as Batman. And usually I save him for last. But as we've talked about all episode, Cal, he... Didn't have a lot to do in this week's episode. We get just a tiny bit of him at the beginning in that chase scene, and then he sort of come back, comes back at the end, and he uh, he does have a little bit of a, a moment where he's calling out to the Joker to try to get him to stop uh, firing wildly into this toxic waste dump. But he's a pretty uh, he has a pretty minor role to play, and that is of course because our our main stars are uh, we have Diane Pershing as Poison Ivy. Um, this might be my favorite episode of hers so far. Um, I, agree. I, I liked Pretty Poison. I seem to remember it was a it was 
it was 2018 when we reviewed that, which is <laughs> 3,000 years ago. But uh, I seem to remember liking her in, in her first appearance. And then uh, certainly in, she has a, a nice time to shine in, in Almost Got Him. But I like her getting to show again a little bit more of her her side where we've seen her be sort of the crazy psychotic one. We've seen her being sort of the, the seductive temptress in certain episodes. And then here in this one, we get to see her interacting with Harley so much and, you know, getting to show a lot more, I think, uh, depth and a little bit more range and of the emotions that she's uh, asked to portray in this episode. You know, I noticed that you didn't mention her, her performance in another episode that we reviewed of hers. Look, uh, that episode which I will not mention. Uh, I'll put a dollar in the bad episode jar. I'm talking about eternal youth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there we go. Now that, now that it's your dollar going, the seal is broken. I'll just say her performance was not the problem. (laughs) So I generally, I haven't, I don't think I've disliked any of her performances as, as I be to date. We also uh, talked about her a little bit in the static shock episode, hard as nails, but uh, you can hear, of course, all of these full reviews in our, on our archives, uh, at dcaureview.com or your favorite podcast app or the Pod Tower YouTube channel. But I still think, despite generally liking her performances in all of those other episodes we've covered, I still think this is maybe my favorite one so far. Yeah, I feel like she gets to show a little bit more range of emotion. I feel like, again, as you mentioned, Pretty Poison was so long ago, but I, I seem to remember a lot of her dialogue being her talking to plants in that episode <laughs> and some some of some of that, you know, she has a dramatic take at the end with Batman, but, you know, I, she has a very, very small role and almost got him and hard, hard as nails. She didn't do too, too much. Uh, same as you said before, you know, Eternal Youth, another dollar in the bad episode jar. She didn't. <laughs> She didn't. uh, That thing's getting pretty full. We got to empty that. Uh, You know, she uh, you know, she wasn't the issue with that either. And but I I think this there's some fun that gets to be had because she gets to interact with with Harley. Um, You know, I think Arlene Sorkin, as we'll talk about in just a second, her performance as Harley just brings something out. It's a different dynamic for the Poison Ivy character. But I, I, I would tend to agree with you that this is probably her best performance to date that we've we've heard. And that's not that's not poo pooing on the other performances. It's just saying that this this really this dynamic between her and and harley and then the joker and and uh and ivy dynamic which we saw a little bit in joker's wild got to see them interact just for brief brief moments there but kind of continuing that rivalry between the two of them you know which is always a great dynamic Uh, i think it's a lot of fun i think she does she does a great great job here uh, for this episode and and i would not uh, disagree with you that this is likely her best performance to date yeah, and then of, of course the uh, the the other two villainous stars of the episode, again in more of a supporting role, we have Mark Hamill as Joker, who, uh, despite having limited screen time, as al- as always, tends to, uh, to knock it out of the park. Sometimes I think he does some of his best work in these episodes where the Joker isn't the main thing, because you think about you know the monologue in the Man Who Killed Batman, where Joker's really only in that scene; he's not the main focus of that episode. And then here in this episode, between the scene, the first scene where he and Harley are kind of having the argument, and then uh, the scene where he's walking around in his boxers, demanding to know where, who has, why haven't the hyenas be fed, and and where's Harley, and and you know, sort of yelling at the uh, 
at the uh, at Rocco and and the other thug and then and then <laughs> I think my favorite line is he gets after uh, trying to kill Poison Ivy and being defeated she as you mentioned she sort of kicks him backwards he lands uh lands on the table the bowl of spaghetti lands on his head and as he's sort of pulling it off of his head he clearly he speaks and clearly as a man who has had the wind knocked out of him but is trying to pretend that he hasn't <laughs> very like impotently uh barely is able to get out the words get him <laughs> to, uh, to the two thugs who then chase after but i, I the delivery on get him like, <laughs> i i howled i rewound it like four times so good so good yeah there's there's uh there's there's a not a lot of joker but i feel like he maximizes the the lines that he was given I feel like, as you mentioned, some sometimes when he has smaller roles in the episodes, it, it tends to magnify the performance, and you really get some of those those lines. the The blinking blue blazes line, I I cackled at that one. I thought that was that was a great delivery. Um, yeah, I think, and no surprise, uh, he's he's a pretty good Joker. How about that? But yeah, of course. And then our our other sort of main villainous voice of the episode, of course, is the great Arlene Storkin as Harley. Another one like Mark Hamill, where it's hard to come up with new ways to say she's great. And she was, <laughs> and you know, as, as we've talked about, you know, many times before, this this role was created for her. Uh, you know, you know, the character was sort of developed by Paul Dini and Bruce Tim, but it was developed with Paul Dini's friend Arlene Sorkin in mind. And like I said, for for everything we talked about in plot of her getting to show a little bit more depth of character and and we learn a little bit more about what, what makes Harley tick in this episode. And she just, some of those, some of those line readings again, like when she's talking to Joker on the phone, she sort of does like baby talk to him and uh-huh. she's asking if he's still angry with her uh, mm-hmm. with and, and all that stuff. Like, I think she's really in that scene. What? M- Mr. J? Harley. <laughs> Honey, baby, pumpkin pie. You know I can't hold a grudge. Where are you? With a friend. Look, I can't talk, but I wanted to let you know I'm okay. Oops, gotta go. I'll talk to you soon. Sooner than you think. Some of the back and forth when when uh, when Ivy is trying to give her the shot, and she's you know, and again, some of that's uh, in tandem with the animation where she's. She's just so, uh, you know, just just like a little kid, just so uh, so afraid of needles, and then, and then, yeah, that that finale, as we said, the the joke we end on, where where you know Mark Hamill's Joker is yelling about how there'll be no women in his next gang, and and uh, and she's still so optimistic that they can make it work. Uh, yeah, between the work she gets to do with Mark Hamill in this episode, and then all of the work she and and uh, Diane Pershing do together uh, a, a great, great episode from, from Arlene Sorkin. And uh, for all those reasons, I have uh, felt I had very little choice, but to give voice, voice acting a perfect 10 out of 10. Nice. Yeah. I gave voice acting a nine out of 10. Uh, personally, it is very, very strong. Um, I, I think, I think underrated or, or maybe, you know, we just didn't 
quite get the opportunity to talk about it. You did mention it there, but uh, Diane Pershing going back and forth with, um, you know, with Arlene Sorkin's Harley, there's some great dialogue where uh, Diane Pershing as Poison Ivy is begging her, you know, as, as Harley is sort of pining after the Joker and missing him. uh, She asks if she really wants to be some wacko's victim for the rest of her life and Mm -hmm. really cuts to the core of, of what Harley's psychology is, you know, does she really want to be a victim? Does she want to play victim to this guy? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of the, the, the impetus of the whole episode is, you know, is Harley going to step out and stay away from him? We don't really have other than that sort of comical ending where you can tell that she's still in, madly in love with the Joker, that she's likely going to continue pursuing some sort of relationship with him. We don't really get a resolution or, or, or much movement between the two. So, you know, we, there's we know that there's plenty of great Arlene Sorkin to come. A couple other Harley Quinn focused episodes that we uh, we will enjoy down the line. Uh, so looking forward to doing more of those. But it's it's hard to imagine uh, there being a better performance uh, from her than this episode because there's there's a lot there's a lot of fun, lots of emotion, and we we kind of get the the curtain peeled back a little bit on some of the the psychology of the Harley Quinn character. And some of that comes from the most of that, I think comes from the performance uh, that, uh, that she ends up giving for as, as Harley. So really, really great stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, Liam. Well, that will bring us to our final scores for this week's episode and totaling everything up. I end up with surprisingly, even though I gave uh, the animation a very low score, which imagine if this episode had had been superb or even mediocre uh, as far as animation would uh, is concerned, what the score would be. But I ended up giving a uh, still a pretty decent 29 out of 40. What about you? Yeah, and I'm just uh, a few points higher. I have a final score of 32 out of 40. And uh, yeah, as, as we get into our rewatchability uh, section of the episode here, as we begin to wrap things up. Yeah, this one I think is a double thumbs up. Um, yeah. Because no not, not only is it that, you know, despite a lackluster, to say the least, animation uh, or visual uh, score from both of us, um, I think the the plot itself is it's not only is it historically important, like we said, because not only within the context of the DCAU do these uh, does the Harley and Ivy and Harley and Joker stuff, uh, you know, is is sort of built on from here to uh, to many more appearances later on in, in this, but also in it goes on to influence comics and other cartoons and and plenty of other media as well. So I think for the, for the influence of it as a whole, and then plus the fact that it's even, even in a bottle, I think it's a, it's a pretty fun little episode, even in a vacuum, it's still pretty fun. So yeah, I think either way, this is a, this is a double thumbs up for rewatchability. No argument here. It's a must watch. You got to watch this one. It's in the, it's in the lore. You got to take it. You got to enjoy it. It's 22 minutes of fun. Despite the visuals not being the best, uh, it's it's important to everything. It's important to this relationship. It's important to the DC universe as a whole. Uh, you got to watch it. 
All right, Liam. Well, that will wrap us up for this week's episode. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Don't forget to follow us on social media at DCAU Review, both on Instagram and Twitter. We'd love to, for you to join the conversation as well. Tweet Liam at DCAU Review with your thoughts on this episode. Also, if you happen to listen to us on Spotify, there's now options for you to uh, to kind of give us some feedback there. Uh, we'll put up a poll each week with the uh, with the podcast. Uh, you can use that interact with us on there. You can leave a comment. We'll usually ask a question of the week. So if you use Spotify, go ahead and uh, subscribe to us on there. If you don't use Spotify, uh, you can still subscribe to us, of course, on your favorite podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and uh, pretty much every other podcast that you can possibly think of. We are there. Also, as Liam mentioned earlier, we are streaming on YouTube as part of the Pod Tower with a couple of our friends, the Tim Talk podcast, as well as the Watchtower database. So uh, if you were looking to support us, that would be one free way to do so, which would be either subscribing to us on a podcast app, leaving a review, or going and checking out the Pod Tower YouTube channel and subscribing to it. That would help us out a lot. Or hey, do both. And if you're looking to support us, uh, you can also, there's a link at the bottom of the podcast each week. You can click on that if you'd like to throw us a couple dollars your way and uh, thank us for the podcast. Hey, we're not expecting that, but hey, if you're feeling generous, we wouldn't look twice at that. And uh, if you, if you want to get a shirt or a hat and support the podcast, you can do that too. Check out dcaureview.com and click on the store tab to pick yourself up some merch if you'd like to. And don't forget to also check out our bonus episodes, which we recorded and released this week, covering uh, some new DCAU material that's been dropping. Liam, uh, we've got some comic books that are coming out from former DCAU creators. We've got Paul Dini and Alan Burnett writing Batman The Adventures Continue. And then, of course, we have J.M. Damatama. Ugh. And then, of course, we have J.M. DeMatteis and James Tucker writing Justice League Infinity, both which are continuations of, uh, of Batman the Animated Series or the new Batman Adventures and Justice League Unlimited, respectively. So lots, lots of stuff for us to cover this week, Liam. Oh, uh, yeah, definitely check those out. Uh, three episodes in one week. It was, uh, it was a fair amount of work, especially for you, Cal, who has to edit these. But uh, we love doing the shows and, and love getting feedback on them. Definitely want to hear what you think on those episodes as well as our regular one here. Liam, we are going to continue rolling here in the month of October with another Batman the Animated Series review next week. And uh, I'm looking forward to doing that. But before then, let's talk about which episode that will be. That's right. And uh, man, the hits just keep coming this month. Uh, this week, of course, Harley and Ivy. And next week, we have a very, very important episode. And uh, if you're if you were looking on the old DVDs, we are now into volume three uh, of the uh, of the DVD set. We're getting in the, the latter half of these original uh, 65 episodes of, of Batman the Animated Series that were produced. Uh, and we are reviewing a very, very important episode, that being Shadow of the Bat, parts one and two. Oh, man. This is going to be a great one. I can already hear the theme song playing in my head. <laughs> This is one, of course, that we had on videotape, Warner Brothers Home Video, the Two-Face tape featured mm -hmm. prominently here. Of course, a very important episode because we get the debuting Batgirl for this episode. So looking forward to that, Liam. It's going to be another great one. Can't wait to do that with you. But until then, I'm Cal. 
And I'm Liam. And we will talk to you on the next episode of the DCAU Review. Bye-bye.